I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. I want to wish you all a happy Christmas and thank you for tuning in across the year. We decided at The Dairy Edge it was a good opportunity to look back at the major events of 2018, some key lessons learned and New Year's resolutions for 2019. To take us through it, I was joined by Pat Dillon, Head of Animal and Grassland Research and Innovation at Chagas and researcher Mike Egan. And I first asked Pat to give us an overall picture of milk production in the country in 2018. Nationally we'll produce around 7.6 billion litres this year, uh, which is 3% higher than in uh, 2017. So uh, from about 1.4 million dairy cows. So I suppose to reflect on the year, given the difficult year it was, it's a fantastic output and it's a good reflection of the resilience of the Irish dairy industry. And I guess it's an important point to note the 7.6 billion litres was the Food Harvest 2020 target. So technically we've achieved that a little bit early. Yeah, we've achieved more than it. Uh, it'll be about 2% higher than that. And if we look at it on a solid basis, it could be up to 10% higher. And if we look at move on then in terms of the, the weather, and the weather has been a huge talking point over the last 12 or 14 months. Can you take us through that? Yeah, it was a difficult year in weather. Um, if you take it generally, it was a normal enough month. February was a very cold month. Uh, March, then we had uh, Storm Emma, Beast of the East episode in early March, which was a massive uh, fall of snow. And temperatures, on average, I think were about two and a half degrees lower than normal for the month of March. So we got very poor growth rates. And then we went into May, into April, which was normal enough and temperature-wise, but was very wet, uh, uh, very wet uh, April. So we had a really, really difficult spring in terms of, of, of farming practices. May and June were normal enough, and then we ran into the drought in, in July, August, September. And we ended with a good, good year at the end, but overall a difficult year. And that was reflected in terms of total grass production, which will come out somewhere around 11 tonnes versus 14.4 tonnes the previous year and something near to 14 tonnes the previous year. So grass production was, was, was significantly impacted. And I guess if we turn to you, Mike, uh, when we look at the 11 tonnes produced in 20, 2018 versus, you know, on average 14 tonnes on a normal year, you know, what are the management practices people employed? And I guess, how can we learn from this and, and do it better if these conditions arise in future years? Pat's already covered what happened in spring and I just have a figure there that we got three times more rain in April than we did in the previous April. So like if we just look at April alone, it was extremely wet and the rainfall that fell in that was unbelievable. The first thing that happened in the spring of 2018 is we actually opened with slightly lower average farm covers than we had in previous years. So even going into a normal spring, we were behind on the amount of grass that we should have had on farm, considering the amount of, of animals that were calving. And, and just in terms of, of six-week calving rates, so the increased demand, so Pat already covered on the number of cows that we have, but nationally on pasture base, we're up to 64% of a six-week calving rate. So we're calving much, much earlier. Our mean calving date is back nine days in the last 10 years. So like we've much more demand. So we didn't have the covers on farm, first of all. Lads, people then, farmers that were looking at the spring rotation planners, we know the targets were set there, 30% in February, 70% or 66% by Paddy's Day. And on a year like this and, and a year like last year, in 2017, where were two extremes. The first of all, we, we can't just stick to the targets rigidly look going forward. So a lot of people this year that stuck to the targets and didn't change or adapt or slow down quick enough in time, 
actually ran into a bigger hole. Whereas people adapted and looked what was coming, but they realised that I remember recording a podcast with you in, in March saying that farmers should slow down the spring rotation planning up. But farmers that didn't do that in time and kept going and dropped their farm cover way too low very, very early were in a much bigger problem than farmers who reacted sooner to try and hold that farm cover and build the reserve into the system. And if you look at 17, which was nearly the opposite, we had extremely high spring growth rates. Farmers, when they should have increased area being grazed, they didn't. They grazing too high a covers, milk protein actually dropped then when you come into April and May in 2017 because covers got so strong. And like, in a, in a normal spring, we can stick to targets, but the normal springs aren't there anymore. So we have to be able to adapt our targets, looking what's happening in front of us, but more importantly, looking what's coming behind us and change where we are in our spring plan and spring rotation plan are according to that. And just to pick up on that, Mike, you're saying, you know, that... The spring rotation planner is a plan and it sets out what you're going to be doing, say, from the 1st of February to the first week of April. You're talking, looking at, looking behind what has gone yeah, happened so like already the, and the behind. The planner gives us targets that we need to graze on a, on a daily, weekly and by certain dates across the spring. And it works very, very well. But we can't look at it in isolation. We have to look at those targets in conjunction with our farm cover. Where we are with our average farm cover, are we still on target? We know that we shouldn't drop below 500 at the beginning of April. So if we're dropping earlier below that, we need to slow the cows down, increase supplementation or vice versa if we're way too high, reduce the amount of supplementation. So we can't just look at the spring rotation planner in isolation. We have to look at it in, in conjunction with other management decisions and change our management according to so. And how often do they review that? I, well, for, at the moment, farmers really aren't looking, aren't reviewing it if you look at pasture-based figures enough. Um, so I think we need to look at our opening farm cover. We have to record our farm cover at least twice in February. Um, but when we come into March, that's the real pinch time. And in the first two weeks of March, we need to look at our average farm cover, which only tells half the story. But we have to look at the area that we've grazed, what's coming back on that, and that's going to dictate when we start our second rotation. So when you come into the, the second, the, the first half of, of April, or of March, sorry, you really need to look at your covers that's coming back on the paddocks you have grazed and then change your end date of your first round accordingly so. And then if we look beyond the spring and the spring rotation planner, what was the picture during the summer? Look, when we, when we come into the second half of April, temperatures did increase it was still quite wet but once it came into May there was a lot of moisture in the ground we got very high temperatures and growth rates peaked at over 100 very very quickly so we, we came out of that hole very very quick and if we looked at on, on average figures growth rates that were back in the spring period up until the, the 10th of April are about 6% which sounds like a lot but we only grow about less than 10% of our of our yearly grass up until that point. So we, we were still on track to catch up. But then we got a very, very good May and first half of June in terms of growth rates, very high growth rates on a lot of farms. Um, and again, some farmers didn't react in time in terms of taking out those surplus paddocks quick enough. So again, you have to react quick enough once you get those very high growth rates. And then as Pat already alluded, we, we ran into the, the very high summer and the drought conditions that hampered grass all over the country. But again, it, there was a huge seasonal variation within that across the country as well. And I suppose just to pick up on that, you're talking about farmers not reacting quick enough. I suppose the, the, the it's to be proactive and yes. and to see these things coming. And you know, there's a lot that can be judged by your wedge. You know what's happening. Exactly. On the Look wedge. at it. I don't think no one, even if they react quick enough, we're going to get out of the drought or the very bad spring. But I think if we can make those decisions, informed decisions by looking at your farm cover, your wedge, it'll help reduce some of those. If in terms of getting a growth rate of over 100, no one's going to have a demand at that stage, so we're going to run into a surplus very, very quickly. So you can capture some of that surpluses rather than grazing high covers, leaving very high residuals, and try and build up some of that fodder reserve that, that we probably need in the future.
And then if we look at the autumn, you know, a lot of people are saying we had a great autumn. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of balers on the road in October, yeah. late October even, which is very uncharacteristic. You know, what's the situation on farms as a result of the weather we had in October, November? Yeah, so look, at first of all, if we look at from once August came, the middle or end of August when growth rates began to recover somewhat to normal. Again, it didn't happen all over the country and there were certain parts that recovered an awful lot quicker, an awful lot faster than other places. Um, so in terms of reaching our peak farm covers, like we would have hoped, to in the end of September, early October. Some farmers did and some farmers didn't. Um, a lot of farmers are trying to build up fodder reserves because we're getting higher than normal growth rates. Um, and some people did recover, but we never recovered the deficit that we had. And if we look at, even just looking at Ballyhays and Curtin's farm across the two regions, growth rates were much higher in Ballyhays in the autumn than they were in Curtin's for a proportion of it. And as a consequence, Ballyhays are only back one tonne dry matter on 17 versus 3 tonne in curtains compared to 2017. So there's a huge regional variation, but the back end was quite good. There was a lot of silage made on farms, um, but it didn't recover the, the de- deficit or the loss that we got in, in the summer period. And in terms of, you refer to farm cover and opening cover in the spring, how are closing farm covers looking at the moment on farms? Look, on pasture-based, closing farm covers are somewhere around the mid-600s. Um, so, but talking to farmers that aren't actually recovering them on recording them on pasture base Ireland and and on other, some of them are quite low, uh, because of the very good back end, um, higher than normal growth rates, good ground conditions, and lack of silage in the yard. A lot of farmers continue to graze later than ordinarily would have, and as a result, they've dropped their cover quite low. And if we look at even average past or ICBF calving data figures, we need somewhere in the region of an eight hundred of an opening farm cover for national figures, 850 kilos of an average opening farm cover. Some farmers aren't going to meet that. And if we look at the higher stock rate, higher stocking rate farms, they're going to need closer to 900 or 1,000 of an opening farm cover. That's going to be very, very difficult to meet because grazing continued much later on into the back end and dropped our farm cover. So you're robbing Peter to pay Paul by continuing that grazing on later in the, in the autumn, dropping your farm cover because you're not going to have it in the spring. And I guess I, I would have spoken to Fergus Bogue and John Marr from Grass 10 and they would have emphasised the value of the grass in the spring. Exactly. And I think they would have promoted that across the autumn. I think if, if you look at Chagas figures, I think it's 180 per day per cow in the autumn and €2.70 per cow per day in the spring. And something that they would have said to us was due to the feed costs you know the cost of your silage that you might feed a cow as an alternative to grass in the spring really it's probably in excess of three euro this next yeah. spring you know in spring of 2019 exactly, yeah. so it's a really really interesting thing and I suppose it's a nice point to pick back up with you Pat in terms of costs what sort of cost did we see um, in 2018? Yeah um, if you look at farm profitability and I mean the National Farm Survey data was, was provisional data for 2018 was published there last week and it showed that on average on dairy farmers that um, that that profit per litre is back at five cents a litre. So if we take it a 400,000 litre, which is an average dairy farm in the country, the profit is back by 20,000 euros on each farm, which is very significant. Even though we talk very positive about the year, we have to be aware that profitability is, is well back and given a similar milk price to the previous year. So profits on farm are back. Yes, dairying still compares very well with other enterprises, but that's not any reason why dairy farmers need to focus on, on costs next year. If you look at the reason then for the reduction in profitability of about 5 cents, but 2.8 cents of that is increase in variable costs. Actually, fixed costs slightly reduced. 
And the other area that, that where uh, effective profitability was and on the gross output, it was down around two and a half cents a litre. And that was a reflection of a slight reduction in milk price and a slight reduction in income from, say, calves and cold cows. But if you go back to the variable cost, which is directly under the farmer's control, that is really a serious issue if it continues into next year. Um, average feed costs on, on the National Farm Server was 7 cents a litre, feeding about 1.5 tonnes of concentrate. So that's an area really that farmers need to focus on next year is to get back to that, um, get back to about it uh, less than, uh, nationally on less than a tonne of concentrate. Um, so th- there is a feeling out there that uh, cows milked very well and production was very good, but production is only one side of the of, of the of the scenario. Costs are equally important. So the focus on getting back and reducing that concentrate feed um, back to less than a ton nationally, and it, that's really then back to replacing that concentrate with grazed grass. And in, in you, you talk about this additional feed that was fed on farm. Have you a figure for on average what was fed nationally above the yeah generally i mean if you look at for the last 10 to 15 years up to this year we were always under a ton of concentrate actually per cow and we, actually there was a reduction in recent years that so it's the first year we've gone over a ton and it's gone to almost 1.5 tons and that varies for different parts of the country as michael said too i mean uh that's much more uh, it would be much higher again in the in the eastern on the south and the eastern part of the country so uh, it would be very worrying if we continue that that level of feeding next year because that is a cost, a variable cost in the system. It's not affected by bank price. Uh, so it's a cost that really needs to be taken out of the system for, for 2019. And if we look at the, you know, a cow that milked a full lactation in a herd, um, a lot of farmers would have gotten rid of, say, their problem cows. Like we would have spoke to Margaret Kelleher and she said a lot of people were looking at the co- the cow index and they got rid of maybe their lame cows or their mastitis cows. Is the cow in the country a better cow at the end of this year? Yeah, I mean, our, our, our genetics is increasing all the time. I mean, the EBI is increasing all the time, yes. Um, it probably was one of the opportunities this year with the drought uh, and it was a correct decision at, at farm level that farmers uh, did cull cows, lame cows, old cows, cows with high cell count and the co- and, and it was a quick decision this year based on the drought scenario because the feed co- the feed scenario uh, so yes we probably have uh, fertility has turned out very well uh, so we probably genetically have a better herd of cows after the year yes and then if we move on then and we consider what are the key lessons that we can take from the year I mean I think there's four key lessons um, the importance of feed reserve, I mean, that is clear there. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Having a reserve of feed, and Joe Patton at the National Dairy Conference talked about somewhere between a half and three quarters of a ton of extra feed as silage there, and it rolls on from year to year. And you've only to, to, to create that reserve in one year, and then you roll it on from year, and having that as a reserve, there's no doubt about it, that's very important. In building that reserve, and I spoke to a lot of groups about building up fodder reserves, and look, it may not happen to build up to that three quarters of a tonne in year one, it may take two years to do it, but once it's built up, it's it's there, it's sitting in the yard, it's cash in the bank, for want of another word, it doesn't need to be done all of the time, it's not putting a huge extra cost in terms of building up that reserve all the time, it's once it's holding it there, and it's maintaining and holding it for that rainy day like we had this year. And, and on top of that, there's often autumns there where grass growth is very good and you can buy uh, silage very cheaply and there is, op- there is opportunities every so often. And that. and that was my next question to you, Mike. Do you purchase this reserve or do you make it in-house? 
look, I think if the opportunity comes up to, to purchase it at a, at a correct cost, that's not going to put huge additional cost into the system, I think, and the silage quality is good enough. I think that's the key thing. When you're building up this reserve and you're buying it, if you are buying it, ensure that the quality is good, uh, rather than buying any sort of, of silage quality, if it's poor and you're paying the same price for it. So if the silage quality is good and you can buy it at a correct price, I think that's a feasible option. If you have the ground that's going to allow you to build that reserve in your own farm within the, in the gate, um, again, you can do it. And I think it's probably going to be a combination, as Pat said, it's going to be a combination of both, of building up some of that reserve on farm, um, but also purchasing it in at a, at a good cost that's high quality silage as well. And I know we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I really like Joe Patton's points on the reserve. And like he would say that, you know, you have your optimum stocking rate and that is the amount of feed required by your animals is equal to the amount of feed that you're growing. So that's your optimum. So, you know, potentially for a year or two, your stocking rate may be below optimum in order to build that reserve if you're doing it from your own farm. Yeah, and the second one I, I would have is silage quality. And uh, this really reflects on the people that are better at grazing management and doing covers on a weekly basis and taking out surpluses and using those surpluses then on a feed deficit. And this high-quality silage may be as wrap silage, it may not. And farmers really that were, especially at, uh, only at a small pinch, that went in with a certain amount of silage, even with a very small level of concentrate, uh, animal performance didn't drop. So having that silage quality is important. It also makes feeding systems very simple on farms. I mean, uh, if you have to put in a certain amount of silage, you then you supplement it with a, with a certain amount of concentrate. But if you have very, very poor quality silage, it's not a feed that you feed to a lactating dairy cow and pasture. So the, if you're going to feed silage at grazing, it has to be high quality. And the next point in it might cover the stocking rate, matching your stocking rate to, uh, to, 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 to your grass growth. And that's critical. And the people at a very high stocking rate are going to be much more pinched in, in a year like uh, this year. No doubt about that. Much more. And stocking rate, uh, yeah, it's a, key, it's a key issue. And it's a key thing that farmers need to reconsider. Some farmers have gone too high in stocking rate. No doubt about it. Just on so stocking rate as well, Pat, sorry to interrupt again. And I think a lot of group farmers that are groups that I spoke to recently have are making these decisions on stocking rates. You already said that it's very easy to set your stocking rate. You know what your farm is growing. You know what you need on your, for each one of your cows and you set your stocking rate accordingly. But a lot of farmers are making these decisions on stocking rate on individual years. So if we look at 2017 when pasture-based figures showed that we were up nearly 5 or 10% on yearly grass production, farmers made the decision that we can carry extra cows because we grew more grass. Likewise, this year we grew less grass, so we have to reduce our stocking rate. You don't make the decision on a poor year either. It has to be an average of what your farm is capable of growing over a four or five year average. And you're always going to have good years that allows you to make excess silage to build up that silage reserves in the likes of 17. And in a bad year like this, that when you're not completely overstocked, you have that soil reserve built into the system and you don't feel that pinch as much as farmers that are extremely highly stocked. And just a quick rule of thumb on that, I guess, you know, John Roach and Brendan Horn would have presented a paper in 2013 and I've seen it over and over again. You know, the, the quick rule of thumb is five tonnes of grass yeah. per animal, that's you right, know. That's so right. That's very simple. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very simple. The last thing that I had is just work, uh, workable uh, facilities and again, Joe Patton highlighted this at the National Dairy Conference and I think it's very important. Good grazing infrastructure, really important. Um, and we can't emphasise the importance of it in terms of grazing management. Indo uh, powder feeders, uh, very important in terms, again, in, in, in a scenario where labour is, 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 is in short supply. And, of course, going back to Ophelia, the, the importance of having a generator on a farm. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer 
uh, every farmer should have a generator on the farm. I did actually hear, pick up on that, I did hear a lot of people ordered generators when Stormophilia hit, but a week later the orders were cancelled. So, you know, it, <laughs> it, it probably is, you know, important in the running of a dairy farm just, you know, t- to make yourself resilient to what's going on outside. We can't really control the weather. But, um, and I suppose finally then, uh, Pat, you have some New Year's resolutions. Yeah. I, I think that's a, lo- a lovely one for us. Yeah, but uh, what, can you give us a few guides on, yeah. on how to do it better next yeah. year? Well, it's really around one resolution. It's about building up a field reserve. And I think at farm level, that's not, going to be impor- that's not going to be possible, really, or efficient if we don't grasp measure. So if we just one resolution for 2019 and you have grass 10 and you have lots of programs out there and pasture base is really set up now for user-friendly for farmers... The one thing you it will definitely pay is measure grass. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And and if we look at the number of covers that come in on pasture base versus the number of farmers that's in Ireland, it, pasture base is growing every day and it's great to see it growing, but there's still an awful lot more improvement that needs to be got there in terms of getting farmers actively recording covers, actively responding to these deficits and surplus that are occurring in time that you can't do if you don't measure grass. And again, and it allows you to build up that fodder reserve and put in that supplement when it's required a stitch in time says nine, my mother has always said, and if you're not going to put that silage in or that supplement in, in times of running into that deficit, that deficit's going to get bigger. And I mean, like, Pat, you mentioned grass 10 and there's pasture base, but like, you know, you don't need to travel to a national grass 10 event. Like in every county and in every Chagas area, there are grass 10 groups and like, you know, everyone is welcome to those. And I suppose, you know, going back to your point on the economics of it, on the average year, our kilo of grass is costing us about seven cents to produce. And, you know, you're doubling that for your silage and maybe tripling, tripling it or even more, more for your concentrate. So, you know, it's, it's I think it's a really nice... It is, and, and I mean, the, 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 there's lots of talk out there. I mean, should you have... Was grass measuring important in 2018? And the real good people in terms of it, it was said it was more important in 2017 than ever, or 2018 than ever. Uh, and they got more out of the grass measurement. And actually, some people in the, in the drought scenarios actually measure twice a week. So it was really essential. Yeah. And just on that, in terms of, I think, Pat's New Year's resolution is, is very good. But I think even with building within that, I think now is a perfect opportunity looking at soil fertility, testing your soils now. Farmers, are a lot of cows are dried off at the moment. I think actually testing your soils now, identifying poor soil fertility paddocks, putting a plan in place to try and build up those reser- those indexes in your farm as well. It's going to allow you to grow more grass. Um, looking at your grazing infrastructure, there's certain things that you can do all within that, what Pat has said in terms of measuring grass that you can do to help improve overall production and sustainability within that system. That's great. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks, Emma. That's it for this week's episode of The Dairy Edge. And my thanks to Pat Dillon and Mike Egan for joining us on this week's show. And thank you all for listening in across the year of 2018. Continue to listen, rate and subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts and Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.